This is not your mother's middle age. No longer is waking up each day, living the wash, rinse, and repeat cycle acceptable. We have the life lessons, the relationships, the wins, and the losses with which to navigate to our highest self without hesitation and without fear leading the way. We have been there and done that, and so we have so much to offer the world and each other. So join me on this journey speaking to ordinary women doing extraordinary things for new insights, new ideas, new medical breakthroughs, and new life lessons. You will be inspired to find your best life here and now. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire, and this is your Second Wind Podcast. Welcome back, Second Wind friends. I have a really special lady to share with you today. Her story is not an easy one to tell, but I really feel like it's going to reach out and help a lot of people. It actually helped me this weekend when I was visiting a new relative that I didn't know who may be struggling with addiction as well. Very interesting how this all works out. Anyway, Heidi Raymer is a mother of two. She's been married for 28 years. She is a grandmother. And I appreciate Heidi, how we met and your willingness to talk to me at this cute little place called the Funky Shack. And I would go in there and look for finds for my little log cabin and such. And the, one of the women there said, Hey, about your podcast, I think that woman over there would be fabulous. I think she'd be willing to tell her story. And then I beelined for you. And I said, Hey, I hear you might have a story to tell. I had no idea what it was about. And you were like, oh, ho, ho, do I have a story? And you were so great about it and so willing to share. And then I told you about my, my special little spirit animal, which is a frog, which I discovered. <laughs> and here's Heidi. Every time I come in, she goes, I found a frog for you. So now I have frogs everywhere. Thank you very much. Really special frogs. <laughs> So it's really neat and we've connected and become friends and I can't wait to share your story. So welcome Heidi to Second Wind, the podcast. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be here. And don't ever tell me you like something because you will never stop getting it. <laughs> frogs forever. Yeah, there's a lot of frogs. <laughs> and I love to talk. So, hey, you know, you can always count on me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But your message is going to... It's going to resonate with so many people. So I am excited to share because that's what we do. We lift each other up. Yes. And yes. create the potential that we need to see in ourselves. And yeah. Yeah. And so many times people don't share what they go through. And I, I think that's, that's an issue because once you tell what you're dealing with, it, lets people know that, that they're not alone. Right. You know, it impacts so many people's lives that they're like, oh, I'm not alone if they're going through something themselves or a family member or something like that. Absolutely. It, and it's, it's, that's a huge thing. And yeah, I think everybody should share everything. <laughs> yeah, I know. I tend to share a little too much sometimes, like at, at work at the Funky Shack, um, they're, they're like, hey, no, maybe, maybe. Put your filter on. <laughs> that's okay. Maybe that's why we don't get along because we don't have filters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we can just be right on out there and we're like, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Doesn't matter. It's all good. Well, let's, um, let's start. You ready? Let's start yeah. with when you told me about this. Oh my gosh. All right. Tell me about that moment, that time, that thing, whatever it was that really was your shift your, Hey, things, things got to change. I'm moving in a different direction. Well, it was April 27th, 2019. Um, I was on my kitchen floor at 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, actually I don't remember it cause I was in a blackout drunken state at 10 in the morning, but luckily I made a phone call to someone. And for me, that's my 
turning point or as you say, second wind, because at that point it was, I was either going to take my life or luckily I didn't, I made a call and I made a call for help. Um, so for me, that's my second win because either death or life and I chose life and I made a call to get help. Um, I'm an alcoholic and I, I didn't really realize it at the time, but I was struggling. I was struggling with addiction. Um, so that was my moment of help, help. Yes. Yeah. So I was curious when we were talking, I'm like, okay, so you're telling me you're blackout drunk, but you had the, the wherewithal or the wits about you to make that phone call. Like how do you remember making the phone call? Like how did you even know to make the phone call? I guess if like, if you've ever been drunk or buzzed, you don't really think too clearly. No. And, and I'm saying it's a God thing. Um, and, um, or, you know, for me, I believe in God. Um, people have their, um, uh, what do they, what do they say? The, um, God of your understanding minds God. Um, but I, I, it, it was a spiritual experience. Um, and praise God. Um, you know, I, I made that step because I'm telling you, I was done. I was done. I was done. I was done. I was done struggling. It had been years and, um, and I couldn't do it. I, I tried and tried and tried and I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't fight. I couldn't fight the fight anymore. So was it? Was it? You made was the it? call and you feel like your God intervened and yeah. had to make that call. What you're saying, if you didn't make that call, what was the alternative? You, you had an alternative. I was just, and, and it's weird because I'm not an, I'm not, you know, I didn't have a gun. I didn't have anything like that, but I know I was so done with living um, that I don't know how I would have done it, but I had, I had a nephew that took his life um, four years prior or four years prior to now. Um, Then it was a year before. And then my, a really good friend of mine had taken her life. I think the week before or something like that. And I was like, well, that's how they solved their problem with addiction. Mm. So I guess that's my only answer. So I didn't know. I just knew I was just done with fighting my addiction. My, um, alcohol was my main addiction at that time. Drugs were previous, um, but I had overcome those thought. Um, when I was, yeah. So, um, I don't want to jump to the story, but, um, yeah, I, but yeah, I I couldn't, I couldn't quit alcohol. And, um, I was like, no, I just can't live like this. So, yeah. And I think it's important for us to say that while we're, we're recording this and it's, geez, it's June of 2021, you've been completely sober for, over three years now. Yeah. 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 That's important to say. So these deaths and these situations that happened, happened, you know, like right before this happened to you. Yes. And they were critical too, because it was, they were important people in my life. My nephew mm-hmm. who was in his early twenties. And then my friend who also um, was an alcoholic too. And she and I would joke, um, we would do um, drinking and then we'd go, okay, we're going to quit. And we pretend to quit. <laughs> it was like Our a drinking buddy, would you say? Well, we didn't drink together, but um, we knew we each had a problem. Mm. She was my, my she, she would cut my hair. And so she was at Serenby. Um, she worked at Serenby. So we, I'd go visit her and, um, and we'd say, oh, it was just funny. She'd go, okay, we're going to quit for a week. <laughs> we try to quit for a week and then we, oh, we would try silly things. Um, oh and, and then when I found out that she took her life, it was like, oh, maybe that's the only answer. You know, maybe there's no, there's no cure for this. 
addiction. Wow. That's got to be an alone feeling. Well, let's let's back up so we can then get to some of the lessons learned, which of course we're all learning lessons every day. Yes. But let's talk about Heidi and how you grew up. You had an interesting childhood. Let's yes. start there. Yes, I um, was third of four girls. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know what to say because uh we moved all the time. We moved like every two years um growing up, so never stayed anywhere long. People would say, Oh, military, and I'd say no witness protection program. And they'd look at me and I go, No, really, we were circus people. And they'd look at me and I go, No, gypsies. And then I go, No, we just moved. <laughs> we just moved. <laughs> yeah. Well, share a little bit about that because there was a reason for that. Yeah, dad would always, he aspired to always have a better job. So he was constantly, um, he was always successful in what he did, but he'd, he'd always find a better job or, um, yeah. I mean, he started out, it's funny, he started out as a golfer, but having three young girls, um, four young girls, sorry, there was a fourth, <laughs> six years later, um, after us three, um, yeah, he, he would just always aspire to have a better job. So we just constantly move, 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 move from California to Alabama to Pennsylvania to just all over Florida. Yeah, all over. Wow. Okay. Okay. And your mother, what was going on with your mom? What was your- She was a school teacher our whole life. She always taught school. In fact, she just retired this week at 82. Oh, my gosh. Bless her. She doesn't know what she's going to do with herself. I'm like, maybe relax. Maybe. Just a thought. I'm yeah. Sure help her with just, just a thought. <laughs> yes. Now, was your dad, your dad was an alcoholic, right? No. Well, he died at 54. Um, so he was diabetic. Um, type two. So I, I, I don't know. We don't really know. Um, dad, you know, dad liked to have his alcohol, you know, and, and we'd find mom would f- find him on the f- front lawn and stuff. But, you know, you don't know if that's his diabetes, low blood sugar oh. or alcohol. So mm, it's hard to say. I don't want to call him that. Um, he did not handle his diabetes well, and that's what took his life at 54. Okay. So he died young. Okay. Yeah. So but, moving all that time, you were always in different schools. Oh, yeah. Like I went to three different high schools. Yes. And it's funny because in um, in recovery, I pulled out my old yearbook. And I don't remember high school at all, but I was looking through my old yearbook, and um, all the comments were, you're a nice girl, but you drink a lot. And then the next one, why don't you cut back on drinking? And all these responses, you know, I don't remember any of these people, but I'm like, oh my God, my whole yearbook was about drinking. I'm like, even in high school, I was a drunk. So I threw it in the tent. But <laughs> so, so I guess that would beg the question, you know, because I mean, we all partied, at least a lot of us partied in high school, but I don't remember... Yeah, I don't think I would have written in anybody's yearbook, hey, maybe you should stop drinking. But that's interesting that that was happening in your yearbook then. So when did you when did you start drinking? When were you introduced? Some well, people are introduced really young. Some people are introduced when they're 18. What, when yeah. were you introduced? And ironically, I have no memory of my childhood. And I don't know if it's from moving so much or um in therapy we were doing um after in therapy I have a wonderful um therapist in Peachtree City and he does um meditation therapy and one of the memories started triggering something and I was like "Mm, not gonna go there yet but maybe now in recovery I can now that I'm three years I feel better so I might go back I was thinking about that um I might go back and try that now. Pretty interesting. I feel better. Don't remember your childhood. Yeah, I don't remember, but I remember my first drink. And I oh. was in sixth grade 
And Sixth grade. So how old is that? That's what? Thir- 12, 13, 12? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. and my friend Ellie and I, um, we skipped school in State College, Pennsylvania. And we, I remember the credenza, we went to her house and her credenza where her parents kept the vodka and we drank vodka and orange juice and we drank till we passed out. I don't know why we didn't get caught. Now, that's one thing. I never got caught all my life. Oh my but now my boys, my boys always got caught. And I was like, are y'all stupid? You know, I was like, y'all gotta be smarter at this, but um, never got caught. But yeah, my first drink, I remember that. And it was vodka and orange juice. And it was like, I remember going, this is the answer to everything. Because growing up, moving all the time, um, you never learn who you are. Mm. You morph into whatever you need to be. And growing up, we had to be the perfect people. We were told, you know, in everything, don't embarrass the family. So you have to be these four perfect girls. Um, you have to play the game wherever you go. And you have to, I had wonderful parents, don't get me wrong. And they, they raised us, we had a great life, but you don't develop any skills when you move all the time. So right. if you have a problem with somebody, you don't, you don't resolve it because you move. So. Oh, that's but, such an interesting point. Yeah. Cause you never go through. The cycles of that and no, no, no mad at you or a boyfriend you broke up with. It doesn't matter because you're going to move anyway. Right. You're going to move. Yeah. So I remember drinking was great because if you drink, you don't have to have any feelings, which Mm -hmm. You're going through this life of trying to be the perfect person, but you really don't know who you are. So drink. And then you don't have to. So it was such an escape. Um, so that's that was my tool. In okay. My toolbox. So, you know, drinking all those times, um, all those years from 12, 13 to 50 something. <laughs> Um, long time so you loved it right away it you're like oh okay this is the answer through this yeah when you were 12 and you were already looking for ways to deal your life circumstances and stuff that's interesting so how did you now if I had been I think back to my childhood at 12 or 13 I knew where my parents had liquor. My parents did drink mm-hmm. probably more than they should have. I don't know, but I, I don't know how I would have got, I don't, I didn't know how to get away with it. How did you get alcohol? Well, back then, I think our parents had a different lifestyle too. You know, um, back then alcohol was everywhere. That's it true. was, you know, the seventies, um, seventies and eighties. It was our parents had a different lifestyle back then. I mean, cocktails were the life. I mean, my aunt who lived in California, she even had cocktails. She was a banker, and she even had cocktails at her bank station. I mean, it was a different <laughs> lifestyle. Yeah, um, you know, they used to smoke at their desk and stuff. So it was different. Um, we always had alcohol in our house. Um, and it was. I mean, even now, I think people like, especially when I was trying to quit um, before I realized I was way off the edge. Um, I thought you can't have a life without alcohol. You're not accepted if you don't mm. drink, you know, like the perception of people when you go to a restaurant and a waitress comes up or a waiter, um, you can't say you don't want anything to drink. That's just not acceptable. You know, oh, I, mean, I got like you. Yeah. Perception, every commercial on TV is an alcoholic drink. I mean, everybody in a movie is drinking. I mean, I can't have fun. I can't, you know, it's just the perception is that's fun. And that's, the cocktail parties. 
yeah. cocktail party after cocktail party. That's what you did. You went to yeah. the club. Like my parents had, we belonged to a club and you went to the yeah. club and there was always the cocktail hour. And that's what it was. That's yeah. You met people. That's how you socialized. Right. right. Weddings, parties, everything has to do with alcohol. You can't quit that. You really had no problem getting alcohol is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then you, um, you decided to go to college. Did you go to college? Yes. I went to college at 17 and leaving the family fold was party on. Ah. So basically my parents, I went to Flagler College in St. Augustine and basically my parents paid for me to go party. <laughs> it was like, Oh my God. Um, that was probably a mistake. Mm. Well, no, it wasn't a mistake. <laughs> but because no, um, everything has a reason. Yes, yes. But I I um yeah. Um I didn't graduate from Flagler, but I got pregnant with my son at Flagler, <laughs> my oldest son. Um so I came home with my tail tucked between my legs and said, um, and my mom was funny. I, I took her to a bagel shop. They were living in um, Tampa at the time. And I, I said, mom, I need to talk to you. She said, are you on drugs? She said, she said to me, you're either on drugs or you're pregnant. I said, I'm pregnant. And she <laughs> said, oh, you got to tell your dad. I'm like, I can't tell my dad. You know, oh my so gosh, I, told my dad, I can't even imagine. Oh, it was horrible. Um, I was 19 um, and I had to tell my father, I disappointed the family. I embarrassed the family. Oh, so um, I married the um, dirt bag. <laughs> yeah, You're not saying a name. No one knows. It's fine. Yeah. I, I, I married him. Mm. And oh my God. Want, Heidi, did you want to marry him or was this a way to kind of like deal with, the thing that was happening at the time, like, okay, I, I'm pregnant. I'm going to marry this guy. So it kind of legitimizes the whole thing or. I think I wanted to marry him. Okay. But, but I was 19. I was, I was so young and dumb. I mean, at our, at our wedding, which was like a silly little thing. I mean, he called me a Cunt. I mean, he was, he was awful. I mean, yeah. I mean, he was, he was doing drugs in the bathroom at our, I mean, oh it, was, it was gross. And I still married him and I thought, Oh, this is awesome. Oh, it, it was gross. I'm sorry. I said that word. Um, but yeah, but that's the truth of it. So yeah, I married him and, um, had the baby in Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, and, but to me, I wanted that baby so bad. Mm. Dead. Why? That was, I don't know. I wanted, I always wanted a baby. So that was my next question though, because some people who would be in that situation would have maybe had an abortion. We're about the same age. Yeah. Um, but for me, and it's funny because I always wanted a baby. So, and I wanted five kids, you know, that's always, I thought, I always thought I wanted five kids, but I have two, two sons that are wonderful. And God is smarter than me because if I had had five, I probably wouldn't have survived. <laughs> I probably would have taken my life on April 27th. Right. No, no, I'm just kidding. Anyway. Um, but no, I wanted that baby. That baby was, yeah. And I, ironically, I didn't do any drugs or alcohol during that pregnancy. Um, well, yeah, I asked you that. I said, was it, yeah. what'd you do about that? Yeah. So, um, you were I, in the thick of it in college, right? You were, you were just doing whatever came your way. Oh, and my poor roommates, they had to clean me up and I would be found on people's front lawns. I would vomit all over the dorm room. I mean, they don't keep up with me anymore because like we didn't stay friends. <laughs> it was right. probably like, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Yeah, they it they probably don't have fond memories of me. Yeah, it was a gross existence and I passed college then. I got to transfer all those credits to when I did get my degree in psychology um at Clayton State, but um yeah, it was not a good existence. So I went so we moved to Oklahoma cuz my first husband 
went into the military to try to get us through with this baby. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then and we then- moved to Alaska because we got stationed in Alaska and we moved there and started dabbling in some serious drugs. So that was my new addiction. Drugs. With the baby. Because you had had yes. the baby now. Yes. With our little one. So, yes. Um, So, you know, drug addiction and alcoholism are a good mix on a military post. Oh, okay. No, not a good, not not a good mix. mix. Oh, okay. (laughs) No, no, I wouldn't recommend it for anybody. Um, There was a pivotal moment for that with you, though. Yeah. There was a moment that changed your trajectory on that military base. Yes. Another God moment where, I mean, I'm telling you, God intervenes in my life so many times. I look back and go, oh my gosh. Yeah. I had a friend who was a military police and he came to me and said, if you want to keep your kid and your life, you need to get out of here. Um, Cause, Cause he knew we, what's going on, right? He kind of covered for you. Yeah. He liked me. Yeah, well, you're a likable person. I can get, I can see how you would get away with stuff. Because yeah, people, really yeah, they don't believe that I'm involved. <laughs> right. I mean, my my ex husband was just a piece of work. Piece of work. Um, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> piece of work. Bless him. Every, oh, anyway, I'm not going to go into him. But um, yeah, but he he liked me, and I think he yeah he he wanted to marry me. But um, anyway. <laughs> But um, he told me, he said, I'm coming to you and telling you, if you want to save your son, if you want to keep your son and if you want to save your life, you need to get out of here. So I did. My son was everything to me. And I hightailed it back to my parents who lived then in Phoenix, Arizona, Scottsdale, Arizona. And I I went home to my parents and um, they took me in. I was 80 pounds, had green teeth, and oh was my losing God, my hair. Oh, my God, 80 pounds. Yeah, I was, you're I looked not, like yeah. You're not a short little person. You're tall. No, I'm 5'7". But the crystal meth and, and alcohol had done me in, and and they didn't say anything to me when I went home. They're like, oh, welcome home. You have to go back to college. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> sure. So I went back home to them and asked my husband for a divorce. Um, well, actually I said, you either quit the drugs or we're we're getting a divorce. And he said, I'm never quitting drugs. So, uh, I said, okay, well, we're getting a divorce. I, and then my parents moved to Indiana. So I went with them because I was living off them. You know, I was going back to school and waitressing and trying to raise my son. Um, we moved Were you to still doing drugs and alcohol during this time? Or? No, I had completely quit the drugs. That scared me. It scared me enough. Luckily, it scared me enough to quit the drugs. Still drinking, but um, quit the drugs. Wow. Never did drugs again. And no. nobody said anything to you about your physical condition? Nope. That's crazy. I don't know. You know, I love um, Al-Anon because... Um, it helps people that are our family mm-hmm. because so many times we're too scared to say things to people that we notice because maybe if they had said something at that time, I mean, I don't regret the things I've done now because my life right now is there's a purpose and maybe there wouldn't have been a purpose back then. But if anyone has family members that they notice certain things, please say something to them, (laughs) you know, say, Hey, are you okay? You know, or I noticed you're 80 pounds and you're supposed to be 130. (laughs) I noticed you have green teeth. (laughs) Do you have a problem? Yeah. 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 Say something, you know, or intervene when tough love. That's the thing. Tough love. That's a very important word. Yeah. And that'll come into our story later. But yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So keep going. Sorry, I just had yeah. to. No, no, it is. Um, so then we moved to Indiana, Fort Wayne, Indiana. And um, 
I was going to IPFW and waitressing at Olive Garden. And I met my husband now, Brian. Um, and we fell in love. And then I moved to Texas <laughs> and he followed me. So um, we moved to Texas and we got married. And I had my second son, Alex. So Ian was my first son, was six, seven, six, six or seven when Brian and I got married. So now we have two sons and, and we're good, but alcohol, it's a big part of our life. Like I, like I said earlier, that's just what you do, mm-hmm. you know, and we would travel, we would go to California, tour the vineyards. You know, that's what we did. That was fun. That's what we did. Um, traveled a lot and did a lot of stuff with vineyards. Um, and wine was alcohol, vodka. Mm, I love some vodka. <laughs> oh, and then my oldest son got into trouble. And we had to do the tough love thing. And we tried to intervene for him, but the system was broken. And ironically, I listened to one of your podcasts and one of your other um, podcast parents fell into the same situation we did with some help that they tried to get. And unfortunately, you've got to really research where you reach out for help because right. sometimes there's who aren't, you know, you really have to research where you try to get help. But um, I tried to get my son help um, through different facilities and it was just a shit show. Really? Um, and we had to, we gave him three rules, get a job, be home by midnight and don't do drugs. And Sounds he, like my house. Yeah. Sounds and he like said house. he couldn't live by those rules. So, um, we had to kick him out and, um, lock the door. And that was the hardest thing I have ever done. Heidi, I'm the mother. The father did that. I'm the mother that got up and opened the door. I know. So this is interesting. My son's good, but it's been a struggle for him and He's doing a great job now, but I'm the the wonder ifs could have been an easier road had I could have been an easier road had I kept the door locked and and had some some kind of a bottom get hit, some yeah. kind of ass get kicked. Yeah, every time you um, oh, so he came he walked here one time in the rain and knocked on the door and I opened the door and I said, "No, are you going to follow those rules?" No. I had to shut the door and lock it. And I tell you what, it's a death. It is a death. It is the most horrible. And we were judged by churches. We were judged by people. It was the most horrific, painful year of our life. That, And especially the judgment from other people. It's like, you don't walk in our shoes. I had no support system. Brian and I were on our own. And I tried to reach out to especially the church I was going to at that time. I'm not going to say who it was, but um, it was horrid. The judgment of other families who then went through similar things later on in life. But at the time, you know, they judge, how can you do this? But now, and now walking through my own addictions, um, if you, if you stop, if you enable someone, they're, and allow them back in, their bottom gets deeper. So that's um, so important that you just said that. Yeah. Their bottom gets, gets deeper. deeper. It's going to be longer for them. And so say I let him in and he didn't follow those rules, then um, maybe he would have drank and dropped, drove, drank and, you know, killed somebody. Or maybe he would have killed himself or maybe he would have, you know, 
So those bottoms get deeper or those um, negative consequences could have been worse if I hadn't have pushed him out. So by us pushing him out, I had to, I called my ex-husband and I begged him. I said, please take him in because he wouldn't. I had to buy him. I'll buy him a car. I'll send him with a car. I'll send him with money. I'll send him with anything. Take him in to finish high school. He was a senior and he had like four months to go or something. Um, so he did. Um, and he graduated and he went off to college and got a degree. So he was able to do that. But um, that was horrible, horrible, horrible time. And he hated me. And just this week, he texted me something. And I said, are you mad at me? He said, Mom, I'm not 17 anymore. <laughs> but he's 35 now. But um, Oh, you saved his life. Yeah. I, and I, I tell people all the time, you have to do that tough love, which is the hardest thing in the world. But I believe in it. Um, and for me, too. In my story, you'll see that my husband had to do that, too, with me. Um, yeah. So well, I'm so sure then, our listeners understand that if you put yourself in those shoes and imagine locking the door, I locked, uh, you locked the door. I imagined I didn't I didn't follow through. You did. And I that the braveness, the and, and then, it is. And then you dealt with the judgment after everybody's like, how could you do that to your child? Right. Yes. Unbelievable. And, and and then those families would call me into the church to have counseling to say, you need to let your son back in or you need to do this or that. And I'm like, good for you. You take him in. And they did. And then a week later, they'd be kicking him out because he would have done something horrible at their house. You know, it's like. Quick question, Heidi. How did you stay so steadfast in your decision? Because you're already, you know already addicted you're already doing your thing and there was a physical pounding you there was a physical uh, my son was getting physical with me and um I ha had a younger son here and it was ruining my marriage mm. and my marriage come came first mm -hmm. and I know my mother and father my mother set a huge um example for me and I, I think it's biblical too um you put your husband first you don't you put god first and then your husband you don't put your children first and i know that sounds really bad but counterintuitive isn't it yeah Try but it's true you there's a there's a a way to love and it works and um you love God, you love your husband, and then you love your children together. But it works. And mm -hmm. and you work together as a partnership to love your children. And I had to keep that. I love my husband so much. And he puts up with me, and I can't believe it. I don't deserve him. But um, I, um, I, had to, I had to keep that bond and... And he loved, he loved Ian like his son, but we had to protect Alex and I had to protect my marriage. Um, and a lot of people say, and my mother always put my father first and loved my father more than anything. I never doubted she loved us girls, but she always put my father first. And it set such an example for me. Hmm. We never missed a beat, you know. We were so cared for, but she loved my dad. I'm gonna cry. <laughs> no, you're gonna make me cry. But That's she amazing. loved my dad so much, and always put him first. And it just set such an example for me um, in the second marriage that that's the way I needed to do it. And um, that's that's what kept me um, that I needed. To, I kept you to do that. that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think yeah. that's a good little reminder to us all because there's been times when, yeah, you stress out your marriage because you're like playing the advocate for the child instead yeah. of working together. It's the me and my child against my husband kind right. of, and that doesn't work. 
does not work well at all. And I'd say majority of marriages break up because of the kids. Yes. You know? Yeah. Because, yeah. The marriages that survive figure it out. Mm -hmm. So, well, I'm so sorry for we digressed a little bit, but I think the lesson (laughs) there is huge. Keep going with your story because it's so good. Okay. So then you kicked him out. You're so, yeah, on. Ian goes to lives in Florida. So that's going on. Alex grows up, does his thing. Um, and Alex has health issues. He's diabetic. He was diagnosed at nine. Um, and ironic, it's not ironic, but it's so sick um, in my alcoholism. I mean, he'd be in the hospital and I'd hide those little wine bottles in the hospital drinking well, he's in the hospital and I'm staying there. And it's like, that is just so sick. But anyway, um, so he's growing up and then it just, alcohol just took over my life. And then Brian started saying, Heidi, why don't we cut down? Okay. Why don't we just drink on the weekends? Okay. Why don't we just... And then I, he would, so I, he, I'd i say, okay. And then he'd say, um, bless his heart. He, he, he did Al-Anon um, when I was in rehab because he'd do the thing where I'd go, he'd call me on Thursday and say, do you need me to pick something up on my way home from work? And I'd, I'd say, yeah, can you just get a bottle of wine? It's almost a weekend. He'd say, okay. You know, thinking, mm-hmm. you know, because we really didn't know how bad I I was. So then it got to the point where I was hiding it because if he didn't know I had a bottle of wine before he got home, then I could start drinking when he got home and he'd think I had a glass. Right. And, but then I couldn't pull it off because he'd find me in the backyard or he'd find me in the side yard or he'd find me on the office floor or, you know, then it started getting gross. But side note, you were working during this time. Yeah. And I had, and I've had lots of jobs. Um, You know, I got my degree in psychology, but there's not much you can do with that unless you get your master's. And I was done with school. I'm not writing another paper. (laughs) Um, I love school though. Once you go back as an adult, it's like, oh, I love school. Yeah. It costs money. Yeah. It costs money. It's like, oh no, I don't need any student loans. Um, But oh yeah, I love school. And I would get jobs that require, I'm an empath. I absorb other people's energies. And so I I would get a job in the school system, working with children with special needs. And so I, I love children with special needs. Special needs children are awesome, but I would go and work with them. And the system's so broken that I would have to restrain. We would have to restrain children, five-year-olds because they're attacking a kindergarten class and you restrain them. And all they want to do is be hugged. Mm. So you're hugging them and they're responding to you. But the system says you can only hug them for two seconds. And I'm like, but they're responding They're They need to be loved. And the principal would come by and said, no, no. And I'd be crying And the kid would be responding and I'm getting in trouble because I'm not allowed to hug a kid who needs hugs. So, you know, I go to my car and drink because, you know, um, so that was one job. I go to the gas station on my home, drink on my way home because you're just broken by the system. And or we'd have kids that would bite, scratch, kick me up against the wall. And it's like these kids need help. And the system's so broken. So I quit that job, went back to banking. And that was horrible. I worked off in Atlanta um, and the people didn't like me very much. So I'd walk to the liquor store and get my little bottles of vodka and put it in my Sprite and drink on my lunch hour to get, because they were so mean to me. They were, and come to find out, my boss got arrested. I kept saying, something's wrong here, something's wrong here, something's wrong here. I was working for this guy, and I kept telling uh, my goddaughter's mom got me the job there, and I kept telling her, something's wrong here. 
There's something what, wrong. You felt like, what was something off? Was something not getting? Yeah, done? like as an empath, I swear to God, these girls they didn't like me, and I kept saying, "There's something wrong here, Ashley," and and she's like, "What?" So I worked there like six or nine months, and I said, "I gotta quit." And they they cornered me in the bathroom, and they said, "You can't quit. You're ruining a good thing." I said, "I can quit. I don't even need to work." Well, they they got arrested right after I quit. They were funneling money. I, my job was to put money. When people don't get insurance, they get charged insurance. So I was putting that money on a certain account. And then that money, my boss was funneling into his account. And he got arrested for and put in jail for 20 Embezzlement. years. Yeah. And I kept telling them something's wrong here. So these oh horrible jobs I would get, but I would just the systems are so broken. So I found out I am an artist. I need to stick with art. <laughs> well, you no, always liked art, right? Yes. But until I was in, I always thought I had to get a job. Like my dad, my dad was very big on professionalism. We had to read seven habits of highly effective people. All four of us. Could you imagine four girls sitting in the family room having to read a chapter and highlight? And actually, it's kind of smart, don't you think? Looking back, well, and he worked for Stephen Covey at the end of his life. Um, he worked for him, so we had to read that, you know. Um, and yeah, but so that was always very big in my mind. I had to be a professional, but you know, not everyone does, and that's another thing I really need people to know. Be who God made you to be. If you're right. an, an artist, be an artist. And I love telling people at the Funky Shack that too. I young people, if you're not in this in the box, don't be in the box. You can have a job outside the box. And see, that's another thing I was fighting. I didn't know who I was. So once I found out who I was after in recovery, I was like, ah, oh, it's yeah. so freeing. That's so what you mean, because the book on the seven seven habits, habits of highly effective people. Yes, which is more like how do you become a professional? How do you? Yes. Yeah, it's it's good to know that that's there. It's not necessarily what works for everyone. So right now, yeah, everybody yeah. find what lights their soul on fire. Right, like my that's husband is a great there. professional. Mm-hmm. He's a, but my youngest son. He is more an artist mind. He went to college and it did not work. And now he's in trade school. Loves it. Oh, like, so not everybody fits in that box. Some of us are square pegs. I I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. So tell so so you you have these jobs, you're still drinking. Yeah. You come home, you're drinking. How, yeah. how does that look? How does every day look for you? Um, mostly it, it's a blackout. So, oh, so then I decided, okay, every day I would go to bed and go, I'm not going to drink tomorrow. And then by the minute I wake up, I was planning where my next drink was going to be. So it was so out of control, miserable out of control. Um, um, so I tried to quit. I quit for 10 days. And then I started back and within three days, I was as, as an alcoholic when they quit for a certain amount of time, um, even 10 days, their body doesn't stop. And when they start drinking it, and the other thing that I need to implore to people that don't understand alcoholism is a disease. I don't care if you believe it or not, but doctors have proven Alcoholism is a disease. You can't just stop. Right. Um, it's a disease where the body reacts to that alcohol, that first drink, and I'm off. I can't just go, I'm going to have one drink. Yeah. No, if I have one drink, now I have a choice today if I drink or not, because I've, I've done a program um, that has helped me. But if I have one drink, my body will respond and go, it's like turning on the faucet all the way. You can't just let it drip. Yeah. You're just. Yeah. And it's a disease. It's an allergy. Let's call it an allergy. But it's within my system. And I believe it's hereditary. And you can believe me or not. But it doctors have proven that 
And if you want to read a good book, I can I can give you some books. <laughs> um, but because there's a lot of people like, no, it's not, or whatever. Believe what you want. But I am here to tell you it's a disease. So I quit for like 10 days and then I went on a three-day bender. And that's when I woke up on the floor and made that call. So my um and that person I called called my husband because I gave her his number. And that tells you that I was done hiding. Yeah. And I and he came home from work. He works in Atlanta and he took me to a rehab facility. Just like that. And, and it was funny. I was so in denial that when they took me to the rehab facility, when they were interviewing me for if I was a candidate or not, I, I remember being on that little leather couch and I thought for sure the guy would say, um, no, you're not an alcoholic. Just go home. And he said, you're staying. And I was like, what? But he said, you're staying. And then they took me back. They told my husband to bring my bags in from the car. They took me back in that room and said, okay, you need to undress so we can see if you have anything shoved in. (laughs) This is jail. But um, then then they took me to where they make sure you don't go into a seizure or anything. And I was in there six days. And then they. Were you really sick then? Getting all that um, out of the body, or had you, you some of it already? They give you medication. Okay. Um, I really, it was a really good rehab. I mean, it wasn't a fancy one like Betty Ford right. or anything like that, but um, it was what I needed because it scared me. I was with, I was in there forty-two days. Wow. And I was um, with psychological people. I was with drug addicts and I was with alcoholics and it scared the crap out of me. Um, But I got to see a different world that I normally don't get to see. And um, my first counselor, it didn't work real well. He would go hashtag rich girl problems. And I'm like, Ah. What? You know, we'd be in a small group setting and I'm like, uh, you know, and it was like, dude, it was his first time he had worked with women. And so I went out to the front desk and I'm like, uh, I'd be crying because I, you know, I was a big brat. That's one of my character defects. I'm a brat. And I go, <laughs> and then, so then we got a woman to take over our group, but it was really good. But it was funny because I would call my husband and I'd go, you need to come pick me up. And he'd go, did they say I could pick you up? And I'd say, no. He'd go, bye. And he'd hang up on me. Oh, no. So he did tough love really well. Um, Kept me in there for 42 days. Um, That's tough. But he he was, um, but it's exactly what I needed because I, if it was available to me, you know, that 28 days without, you know, you, I needed the full 42 days to, if because if it was near me, I was going to drink it. And then I was so scared to come home. Um, but And also the program that I was in was full on AA, which I am a hook, line and sinker AA person. I totally believe in the program. Um, and, and one of our things is um, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all our traditions and anonymity, but I believe it's anonymity for everybody else. I won't tell anybody else's in AA, but I always tell people I am and that I'm an alcoholic because I believe if I say it, it's somebody else. I can't tell you the amount of times people have called me that maybe I spoke to last year and they'll say, I remember you telling me that. And can I talk to you about something? And I'm like, yeah. And that's the way why I share it. And that's why I wanted to do your podcast too, because, um, that's how we help other people right. yeah, through that. Right. So I um, went yeah. to that. You got home, but before you came home, you had to send your son on your husband on a little hunt around the house. Yes, I did. They had to clean up. I have a um, basement. That's my um, crap room, craft room. It's 2,800 square feet of my art stuff. And they found bottles. 
<laughs> bottles and bottles and bottles oh, no. and bottles in my closet too in my um bedroom yes yes so they had to and like I say I love my husband and he has just been so supportive and um and through Alan on too because it taught him and my son that this is an addiction and it's a disease and he was able to learn um about it and ways to to be supportive and ways to not be supportive like it's not his disease to fix mm. and it's not it's not like this is my addiction i'm to do the work he's not to do the work you know okay. yeah so there are boundaries that he needs to have mm-hmm. and that's a big word too Cause you know, and sometimes he doesn't ask me a question about like my meetings. I still go to meetings a lot. Um, I was going every day for like two years and then the pandemic happened and they had zoom meetings, which were fabulous. Um, so you could do a couple a day, but I still go to meetings because and I'll go for the rest of my life. Um, but, um, but Brian, Sometimes he'll say, can I ask you a question? And and he asks me, is it okay? You know, because he respects, this is my deal, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but he learned that through Al-Anon, which is a wonderful program as well. I would yeah. say from talking to you, the boundary thing is huge. huge. Obviously when he's picking you up and you're in the back, he gets home from work and you're passed out in the back porch or something. He's, he let it, he somehow made it okay and lived with it. Yeah. Right. But it was killing him. Yeah. And he. They didn't know what to do, obviously. Right. He didn't know what to do. So at that point. And see, and I was pissed because I was. We can get really pissy, too, because we don't want anyone messing with our alcohol, Mm. you know, because prior to going in, if people like when I would do craft shows and stuff, um, if people commented on my drinking at a craft show, I'd be like, you know, I'd be all pissy. I'd be I'd be quite the bitch. Um, But that's prior to me admitting that I have a problem because I'm the one that has to admit it. Nobody else. can. Right. Right. And that's where. I was talking about our bottoms, you know, I have to choose where my bottom's going to be, you know, and that's why we always tell people. That's why I tell people about AA because it's like when they're ready, they know where to go, you know, but so it's in their mind, but they have to be know when they're ready. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. So what's it like now? Over three years. Has it been tough? Well, the first year was tough. It was tough. But like I I mentioned the AA program, there's so many tools. And then I also did counseling. We have a great counselor in Peace Tree City. Um, um, There are so many tools. And my God, of my understanding. Um, That's the other thing. It's a spiritual um, connection that you make. And they allow you to pick the God of your understanding. Mine's Jesus. and that's the other connection. You have to let go of self. We're very selfish as alcoholics. Ooh, me, 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 me. Um, and we have to let go of self and um, open up to something bigger than ourselves. And now, my, I n- remember when I said I never thought I could do life without alcohol? Yeah. My life is better than I could ever have predicted it if I was going to write it I never would have written it this good oh wow so it is like when I thought I can't give up drinking my life will be no good okay it is way up there compared to what I was going to write it with my own understanding but now that I've given it to something bigger than me they wrote it he wrote it bigger than I could ever imagine. It is so good. 
and the, the connections I have with people. I'll tell you, I didn't tell you this when we talked, but just Saturday, um, my goddaughter called me and said, will you come to my uncle's funeral? And I was like, I didn't know your uncle. And she said, will you go? And I said, okay. And the whole time I was going, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Yeah. But I showed up and it was a real small funeral, like 30 people. And I got there and I, I didn't know anything about it. I found out he was an alcoholic and he had killed himself. Oh, wow. I've sat there and, and um, I said, God, why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I here? Empty of self-family with you because I don't know why I'm here. And he kept telling me, talk to the mom and talk to the brother, my god, my, my goddaughter's dad and his mom, the mom of the man who killed himself. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? Don't let this be of me. I don't want this about me. And um, so... God had me go up to those two people and say, do you have guilt? And they both went, yeah. I said, let it go. God doesn't want you to have guilt. This isn't about you. You couldn't have fixed him. It was about him. It was his addiction. He's now free of it. And God doesn't want you to have guilt. And I was like, oh. So it was like, Oh my gosh. I keep being put in these situations, especially with um, addicts like my nephew who took his life and then alcoholic, but of people, family members. And it's like being placed in these positions to be able to help survivors go, it's not about you. I mean, you don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to have guilt because that's not for you to own. You know, just love their memory and love who they were, but they're free of their addiction now, you know, and, but it was, it was so cool when I walked out of there going, huh, that's why I was there. Yeah. That's one of those goosebump moments when you're listening to it. It's like, okay, I see, you see what's happening. Yeah. You didn't even want to go, but you knew you had to go, right? Yeah. I didn't come up with a million excuses why you couldn't go. Yeah. I was supposed to work. Oh. I, was to work. I was supposed to cover for Jen. She was at the beach. And I was like, okay, I got to work. And then I was like, okay, I'll be there. It had to happen. Yeah. So my life now is so good, but I have to constantly, every morning and every evening, I have to be grateful and I have to be thankful and I have to enjoy this universe that's so beautiful. And, um, and just, just thank God for what he's given me, this second chance, a second win, <laughs> you know? Yes, yes. Yeah. If you had, the, yeah. if you had a sentence or two or a thought or one thing that you think is so important as a takeaway for someone listening, what would that be? For someone who's struggling with addiction, it's to let go, let go and let God, <laughs> let go and um, get help um, and stop fighting. Um, that was the most freeing moment, it was the hardest moment, but the most freeing moment. Um, and, oh, I can't tell you the weight that will come off your shoulders if you just let go um, for the addict or the alcoholic that's struggling. And then for the family members of those who have family members who struggle, it's, um, it's the guilt thing that keeps coming up is to um, have your boundaries and, and to love, but don't enable. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly with the addict and alcoholic is there's freedom, there's freedom and there's a life, there's a better life and it's not death, it's life. You know, I thought it was only death and but no, it's life to oh live. My gosh. Yes. Heidi. <gasps> Heidi. Um, thank you so much for sharing. This is huge. No, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> this is big, and there's something for everyone to learn here on so many levels. There's just so much. We're all surrounded 
There has got to be, every person has somebody, whether it's an acquaintance, a friend, family member, spouse, themselves, that is struggling and doesn't necessarily think that they can change it or comes up with a million reasons why they can't or and 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 to know that the world will open up for you if you get rid of that i can't it's amazing yeah. so yeah. thank you so much girl and uh i'll talk to heidi we'll see about putting some information for you in the show notes and wow people think about it soak it in listen to it again if you need to but until next time breathe in your second wind. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile, made you think and made you feel. If these incredible stories empowered you, awakened you or left you feeling inspired, make sure to share with a friend and write us a review on iTunes so we can continue to change lives through this content. Make sure you tag us while you're listening on our Facebook group, My Second Wind, or hit the link in the show notes to join the conversation. Until next time, go ahead and breathe in your second wind.